You're listening to the Quince podcast. That was just a snippet of a press conference where six Muslim students who had approached the Karnataka High Court to get permission to wear hijab to their classes expressed shock on the court's verdict on the issue. The High Court on 15 March effectively upheld the government-imposed ban on hijab in educational institutes in the state and further stated that the right to wear a hijab is not constitutionally protected. Referring to the constitutional guarantees, Hasra Shrifa, one of the six students, said that, quote-unquote, we were expecting so much from our constitution and our country. If today Dr. B. R. Ambedkar were alive, he will literally cry. End quote. As examinations expected to begin in April this year, the students have said that they would seek further legal course and will approach the Supreme Court to intervene and stay the order. But the ongoing chaos over this issue for the past few months, especially after the verdict, has brought forward the question on how it is impacting the education of Muslim women. In our last episode, we broke down the High Court verdict and why it may be problematic. In today's episode, the Queen spoke to Alia Asadi, one of the students who has filed the petition on the effect this issue has had on her education. You'll also hear from Mehira Sood, Executive Director of the Center for Child Rights and Juvenile Justice and a professor at the National Law University. You're tuned in to The Big Story, the podcast where we dissect the headline-making news for you. And I'm your host, Himmat. In the aftermath of the verdict, the Quinn reached out to Alia Asadi, one of the student leaders who filed the petition in the High Court. According to her, the verdict came as a shock to her and she was heartbroken. She adds that she, along with several others, were hoping for a positive result and for the judiciary to take their side. When uh, the verdict came, it was uh, really heartbroken because uh, we had so much hope and trust in judiciary system that we will get justice and uh, we'll be uh, will be given our constitution rights. Quran, which which tells the uh, which tells that uh, hijab a girl should cover her hair along with her chest. And um, when my Quran is saying me to cover it, and uh, it's an obligation. Uh, so I think. Uh, Uh, the order they have given is uh, really baseless it's not only me but all the girls all the girls who were suffering all the girls had hoped that they'll be uh, given justice after suffering so much after being stopped from education uh, they were just looking for a, a sunrise but we can see that no we are again denied from our both education right and even our religious right We also asked Alia how much of her education has been affected due to this issue. And according to her, at least three months of her school education has been affected so far. She adds that her friends who are science students have not been able to sit for their practical exams, thus losing an entire year of education. I can say we have lost around three months. Like we have been not going to the class, uh, we are not being allowed inside the classroom. And uh, I can say my science, uh, the science uh, band of uh, my science students uh, they have lost their final practical exam without that they cannot write the theory exam they they they're going to lo- lose their one year so we have lost our school college life our college life is ruined where people enjoy where people hang out where people chill but we have been struggling here uh, we have been struggling with our uh, basic rights 
and like we have uh, sacrificed many things uh, india is a democratic democratic country and a secular country i still have uh, somewhere hope that they will grant us our justice and uh, Alia's education is not alone in being affected over the past month. A majority of Muslim students that went approach after the verdict stated that they will have to give education a miss this year. Afra Ajmal Asadi of Dr. J Shankar Government First Grade College for Women in Udupi told the Quinn that she will have to take a transfer and leave the college if she is not allowed to wear a hijab. Hiba Sheikh, a student of Mahatma Gandhi College in Udupi, said that she has missed all the internal exams in the college and that if a favorable order does not come within a week, she will have to take a drop. And this goes on to show the large-scale impact of such a verdict on the education of Muslim women in India, which is already low compared to Hindu women and Christian women. So let's zoom out for a bit here and look at the big picture to understand where literacy levels of Muslim women stand at the moment. This data is important because the ban on hijab may further the socio-political marginalization of this entire community. Now, according to Hindustan Times report, 21.9% of young Muslim women aged 3 to 35 years have never been enrolled in formal education. This community also recorded the lowest gross enrollment ratio of 16.6% in higher education among all the communities in the country whereas the national average was 26.3%. Even the female gross attendance ratio which indicates the number of students attending a given level of education at any time during the reference academic year was at 70.6% for Muslim women at the secondary education level and 47.6% at the higher secondary level. Compare this to the all India average of 85.1% for secondary and 65.9% for higher secondary level according to the hindustan times report muslim students also depend greatly on governmental institutions 54.1% compared to the national average of 45.2% while the overall figure of percentage has grown over the years as per the all india survey of higher education the impact of this ban is already being seen as we discussed earlier so given this ground reality Should the idea of a uniform in the current case a hijab trump the right to education for Muslim women? We took this question to Mihira Sood, executive director of Center for Child Rights and Juvenile Justice, and a professor at the National Law University, who said that the purpose of a uniform has been to obliterate class differences in public, and it is unreasonable for the court to not allow such small accommodations. I mean, what is the purpose? The question really is, what is the purpose of the uniform here, right? What is the purpose of a uniform in school? I mean. to my mind it is to uh, obliterate class differences when people are attending school together everybody is dressed in the same way people are ident- easily identifiable as students of that school for instance if you go out on a school excursion or something like that so everybody should be identified as a student of that school everybody should be identically dressed because yes of course we do have a lot of uh, social differences that should not really be highlighted in a school situation so there are many arguments there are of course arguments against uniforms also but i'm not getting into that i'm not saying my my focus here is not anti uniform my focus here is the how unreasonable was the court to not allow this slight accommodation you know which is really not which really coexists with the uniform and in fact in this case it is a different style of wearing the exact same dupatta that is already a part of your uniform so this is not even about you know i don't i don't buy that coming back to what you're saying is the is it trumping education over uniform i mean the uniform is to aid and facilitate imparting education right it it cannot be that the uniform itself becomes a barrier to education it's meant to reduce barriers in its verdict the karnataka high court also viewed schools and classrooms as quasi public spaces 
At one point, the verdict lists quote-unquote schools, courts, war rooms and defence camps as examples of quasi-public spaces. Now, it is important to note here that in many households across India and across the world, the hijab has actually allowed women to access public spaces on the condition of them observing the hijab. Meera Sood says that the court's comparison of schools and war rooms as public spaces is bizarre and that any restriction of fundamental rights needs to be proportional to what is necessary to achieve those aims. And this brings me to the question of, you know, the court has said, the court has talked about schools being qualified public spaces. And it was bizarre because at times they've likened them to prisons and war camps and, and all kinds of things. And, the, you know, qualified public spaces is not a blanket statement. In every situation, that qualification exists for a reason. And any restriction on fundamental rights has to be proportional to what is necessary to achieve those aims, right? There has to be the, the restriction, the test for whether or not a restriction on fundamental rights is reasonable has to be whether or not it is necessary. What are the aims? Are those aims legitimate? Is this restriction necessary to achieve those aims? And is this the bare minimum intrusion? You know, you have levels of intrusion and you should always opt for that intrusion, which is the bare minimum intrusion that allows you to achieve your legitimate aims. And a school has very different aims from a prison. You cannot, you cannot just liken the two and say that, you know, these are all qualified public spaces. And just like in prisons, um, people have inferior rights as compared to other citizens. So in schools, that's not how it is. In schools, schools are qualified public spaces because of various factors like a higher duty of care towards minors. The fact that in many, you know, the minors are, have to be in an adult person's care. Um, that others may not be in a position to take decisions for themselves in certain situations. Um, there are, of course, as I said, there's safety concerns. So you want to be able to identify that, you know, people entering the gates of the institution are in fact, you know, registered legitimate students of that institution. Sure. Uh, you know, you want to be able to maybe match somebody's face with their identity card. Fair enough. It's not that there are no situations where, you know, a restriction is permissible, but that restriction has to be proportionate to legitimate aims that are relevant to what that institution is set up for. It cannot just be arbitrary that restrictions are allowed so we can go wholesale. That's not how it works. She adds that the court failed to ask itself the right questions which led to it arriving at the wrong decision. See, an important part um, of the judicial decision-making process is the framing of the issues based on what the petitioners say, the respondents say, the court's own understanding of how the, what the issues are. And then once the issues are framed, arguments, um, evidence, um, and all the rest of it, and the ultimate decision itself is on the basis of those issues that are framed. So that's a very crucial part of the judicial uh, process. And um, while it's a fact that the petitioners themselves in this case made the argument of essential religious practice, which is something I disagree with. And I do not think that's something that, uh, that they should have done. Um, and it's a fact that it was their argument, um, but the court still um, had it within its power to uh, decide that that is not relevant for deciding the issue of discrimination, um, issues of equality, and the other larger issues of harassment, et cetera, that this case throws up. In a, sense, in a sense, while the court is bound by the mistakes of the Supreme Court itself in the past on this by bringing in essential religious practices and creating this entire test that the courts, in my opinion, are not equipped to do, um, and they should not be pronouncing on you know, the, 
theological matters, um, but it was still within the power of this court and well within its remit to say that, A, this is not an essential religious practice, fair enough. As I said, I agree on, at a superficial level, that's correct. But also to say that that's not relevant, that's not germane to what is really at issue here. And the petitions raised all the other points as well, whether it was you know, the issue of girls' education um, and the harassment and the arbitrariness of the um, order, the government order, all of those other issues were also raised. So it is really well within the power of the court to have said that these are the issues that we see as germane to this issue, to this dispute. And um, you know, the question of essential religious practices Nothing rests on that. To catch more updates on this story, follow The Quint on our social media handles. And of course, if you're not already subscribed to The Big Story Podcast, you can find us on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or any other popular podcast platform. If you like listening to this episode, please subscribe to The Big Story for episodic updates. We're available on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, GeoSavan, and most of the other popular podcast streaming platforms. For other podcasts, please log on to the Quint website and for any feedback, please shoot an email to podcast at thequint.com. Thanks for listening. Log on to the Quint website and check out our other podcasts. 